Hi everybody, this is Kara Fitzgerald. New Frontiers in Functional Medicine is here every month bringing you the best minds in functional medicine. And we would not be able to do this over the years without the generous contributions from our sponsors. Biotics Research, for four, over 40 years, the foundations of biotics research has been innovation and quality. Their goals remain unchanged. Innovative ideas, carefully researched concepts, and product development with advanced analytical and manufacturing techniques. Biotics nutritional products are of superior quality and effectiveness and available exclusively to healthcare professionals. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com. Integrative Therapeutics is focused on inspiring a better lifestyle through better health by providing meticulously formulated nutritional supplements and valuable resources. Integrative Therapeutics promises to enrich your patients and embolden your practice. Welcome to your Integrative Therapeutics. Find them at integrativepro.com. For the past two decades, TA Sciences has been dedicated to exclusively creating research-based, clinically tested wellness products that help address telomere shortening through the science of telomerase activation. As you know, anti-aging has been a huge focus of my research, and I am thrilled to have TA Sciences as a sponsor of New Frontiers. Learn about their products, their research, their outlook on anti-aging at tasciences.com. Com. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine, and today is no exception. I am here with Dr. Lucia Aronica, and if you didn't listen to our conversation on New Frontiers, uh, I recommend it if you've got any interest in nutritional epigenetics and longevity. Um, this is what Dr. Aronica's focus is as a lecturer at Stanford. She's also um, lead R&D in genomics at Metagenics. She wears a bunch of really interesting hats and translates tough science for us to bring into actionable um, clinical work. Today, I'm welcoming her as a New Frontiers guest host. So settle in, enjoy her questions and her perspective. Uh, I think you're in for a real treat. Thank you for listening and welcoming Dr. Aronica to New Frontiers. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we interview the best minds in functional medicine, and today is no exception. I have been a past guest on New Frontiers, and I'm thrilled to now be sitting in the host seat. Our special guest today is Professor Dominic D'Agostino, better known as Don one of the world's top experts in the ketogenic diet and fasting and how to use them for optimal health and performance. Dom is a beast when it comes to performing deadlifts when fasting and publishing papers on the science of keto. And Dominic is associate professor at the University of South Florida Morsani College of Medicine and research scientist at the Institute for Human and Machine Cognition. His research focuses on developing nutritional and metabolic based therapies for neurological disorders, cancer, 
and metabolic optim optimization and is supported by the Office of Naval Research, Department of Defense, private organizations and nonprofit foundations. Don, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me as a guest, I appreciate it. I have recently had the pleasure to work with you on, the, on a review on the ketogenic diet, and I'm excited to have the opportunity today to help you share your landmark research on the ketogenic diet with a wider audience of patients and clinicians interested in using the keto diet to optimize health and performance. So I am an Italian and I grew up eating a diet based on pasta, pizza and pane, which stands for bread in English. And when I hear D'Agostino, I think of Italy and pasta. So my first question to you is, uh, uh, did you also grew up in uh, an Italian pasta family? And if so, how did you become interested in the keto diet and what a keto diet looks like? Yeah, that's uh, so I am Italian. And so we share that, you know, heritage and uh, about a hundred years ago, my my family came to United States from northern Italy, and uh, I I grew up eating a lot of pasta, and we had sun big Sunday dinner with family, and bread and pasta was an integral part of our daily uh, dinner and routine. So it was a bit of a shock to my parents when I started studying this low carb diet, and actually started following it myself. And saw a lot of improvements in my own uh, things that, you know, I, I had uh, battled throughout the years, like eczema, like skin conditions and things like that rapidly cleared up when I went to low carb and then ultimately a ketogenic diet. So a ketogenic diet is defined uh, by the ketogenic diet is very different in that it is a diet that is defined by an objective biomarker and that biomarker is the presence of ketones. And when you're in a state of ketosis, we call that hyperketonemia. So <laughs> hyperketonemia can be the measurement of ketones in the blood as beta hydroxybutyrate in the urine, typically acetoacetate, or in the breath as a breath acetone. So a ketogenic diet is by definition only ketogenic if you have an elevation of these ketone levels. And so many ketogenic diets that you hear in pop culture are really not ketogenic because they are not restricted in carbohydrates enough to produce a state of ketosis. So I think that's you know one important consideration. Uh, the ketogenic diet is a medical therapy and that's how I got interested in it before there was all this buzz about the ketogenic diet, I was studying seizures, tonic clonic seizures that occur uh, from breathing high concentrations of oxygen under hyperbaric pressure. So breathing oxygen with an increase in barometric pressure increases the concentration of oxygen. And the there's the applications of uh, 
hyperbaric oxygen therapy are limited by something called the central nervous system oxygen toxicity, which will cause seizures. It's also a limitation for Navy SEAL divers that use a closed circuit rebreather. So there's no way to predict or prevent oxygen toxicity seizures. And uh, the, drug, the drugs that I was using were not working. And I discovered that the ketogenic diet is actually used when drugs fail for epilepsy. So I started writing grants. And after many attempts, I finally got a grant funded through the Department of Defense uh, uh, over 10 years ago. And we studied uh, oxygen toxicity seizures and, uh, and a mitigation strategy to prevent it, which is therapeutic ketosis. And that can be delivered with a ketogenic diet or ketone supplementation. So that, that's kind of how I got on this path. I studied nutrition as an undergraduate in college, and then I majored in physiology and neuroscience for my PhD, but uh, was able to incorporate nutrition back into my research program. Thank you. And I love the way you framed the, the keto diet as a, a metabolic state, because I think this helps bringing everyone into the conversation and explaining that a keto diet is not yet another nutritional try. It's a unique metabolic state that is achieved in an environment of low insulin where you produce ketone bodies as an alternative fuel and there's unique uh, energy metabolism, gene expression and epigenetics properties that really change our physiology. And this transformation is at the base of uh, also the clinical application of a ketogenic diet. And this is a concept that I also teach um, uh, at Stanford. I have a, a certificate course on the keto diet. Uh, and I think that's, that's, I start there. And I start with the, also the common feature between uh, a ketogenic diet and fasting. And I think as a matter of fact, fact a ketogenic diet was initially uh, used as a fast mimicking diet, probably was the first popular fast mimicking diet used um, for epilepsy, right? So what are the proven uh, clinical applications of uh, a ketogenic diet? and the more new emerging ones. Yeah, so that's, that's uh, I usually preface the ketogenic diet a description by talking about fasting, because, you know, in, in 1921, the ketogenic diet was more or less developed and tested at the Mayo Clinic. So we, we're going back a hundred years ago. And the idea was to do the very thing is to mimic the anti-seizure effect of fasting. And it was observed that if you feed very high fat, adequate protein enough to prevent protein malnutrition and essentially zero carbohydrates, the uh, physiology, the metabolic physiology mimics in many ways the physiology of fasting. That's the suppression of the hormone insulin and the transition of the metabolism to burning primarily fat as an energy source. And, uh, and it, when it comes to the applications of the ketogenic diet, being in that physiological state, changing your metabolism changes the neuropharmacology of your brain in ways that 
We're just learning to understand it now. There's a lot of research. We're doing a lot of research in this area, as are many others, to understand the anti-convulsant and neuroprotective effects of the ketogenic diet and the anti-cancer effects and the glucose lowering effects. So there's many interesting effects. Uh, so epilepsy is really, you know, the, uh, is this, it's, you know, the ketogenic diet is the standard of care, we, we should say, we could say for epilepsy in the context of drug refractory epilepsy or drug resistant. I would like to see the ketogenic diet as more of a first line therapy for epilepsy in those that are willing to follow it, but most neurologists do not have a nutritionist that they can work with to implement it in the patient. So usually when a patient fails one or more anti-epileptic drugs, they have the option of surgery and, and different medical devices like a, a vagal nerve stimulator and things like that. But the ketogenic diet has the lowest potential for risk and also the highest uh, efficacy of like, you know, the last ditch approach. And it's actually when drugs fail, the ketogenic diet works. And we understand that it's not, it's working through a mechanism that is probably independent of any anti-seizure drug because it works when the drugs fail. Uh, the, the general consensus is that the ketogenic diet uh, works through many mechanisms in synergy. So that's why it works for epilepsy. It works for neurometabolic diseases like glucose transporter type one deficiency syndrome, uh, where there's a deficiency in the glut one transporter at the blood brain barrier. So the brain is starved with glucose. And when we elevate ketone levels, the ketones can then restore and preserve brain energy metabolism. And then that is uh, a therapeutic modality that actually can keep children alive that have GLUT1 deficiency. So we, we study, we have a GLUT1 syndrome mice that we study. Uh, we, there's also another application would be pyruvate dehydrogenase deficiency complex. So uh, ketones can be metabolized independent of glucose uh, or independent of insulin, and they don't require pyruvate uh, dehydrogenase. So it can basically bypass that rate-limiting step for glucose oxidation and then cross the cell membrane and the mitochondrial membrane to preserve and maintain the cellular metabolism. So it's used for glucose uh, uh, pyruvate dehydrogenase deficiency syndrome and GLUT1 deficiency to restore energy metabolism. Uh, and there are many other expanding applications. So Angelman syndrome, we published on this. It seems to be very uh, therapeutic for that. Uh, we published it in a mouse model, and now we have a clinical trial that's ongoing. We study Kabuki syndrome. So in the context of Kabuki syndrome, the ketones are having epigenetic effects that were first observed by Dr. Bjornsson at Johns Hopkins. We reached out to him and got his mouse model of Kabuki syndrome and we bred the mice up. And now my PhD student is looking at the ketone induced epigenetic regulation in this mouse model. And we're looking at the various epigenetic, you know, uh, signatures. And we're looking at things like beta hydroxybutyrylation, which the beta hydroxybutyrate can directly interact with the histone. And we're looking at, we're just starting up various assays to look at that. Uh, but other things, including neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and ALS. So we've kind of studied these in the past. 
and, uh, and cancer too. So cancer is another, that's a whole different topic, but, uh, but there are probably more than 40 clinical trials right now looking at the ketogenic diet for cancer. 10 years ago, there were none. So now there's 40. The ketogenic diet seems to further augment the therapeutic efficiency of drugs like pyruvate uh, or uh, the PI3 kinase inhibitors. So there's a whole class of drugs called PI3 kinase inhibitors. They work remarkably well, but they tend to increase insulin. So in the context of insulin suppression with a ketogenic diet, then, then the drugs become efficacious, but only in the context of a ketogenic diet. Uh, so the data is indicating that they have good utility, but only when paired with the ketogenic diet. And a new study came out on checkpoint inhibitors, including the uh, PD-1, and the ketogenic diet seems to enhance uh, the, these checkpoint inhibitors, which is very interesting. And we're working with the Moffitt Cancer Center, and we're doing uh, preclinical animal model work at Moffitt, and we're hoping to set up a clinical trial. So there are many different emerging applications of the ketogenic diet, and maybe a big one I didn't, didn't even mention was type 2 diabetes so and weight loss. So this is like a whole nother topic that we can discuss, the ketogenic diet, works remarkably well for weight loss. Uh, and we're just sort of understanding the reasons why for that. And part of that is through calorie restriction, but there's also probably some other mechanisms coming into play there. Thank you very much, Dominica. I will try to recap a little bit what you just said to okay. summarize it for uh, clinicians and patients. So basically the ketogenic diet works through several different mechanisms. It's not only about uh, lowering insulin, so a metabolic mechanism, but ketones also act as a signaling molecule and uh, have several physiological effects in our body. And that's why they are such a versatile tool for different conditions and seem to have in common either a defect in glucose utilization in the body or uh, uh, perhaps where it's, it's beneficial to uh, lower insulin or stabilize glucose in the blood. And, and this applies to so many genetic conditions, chronic conditions. Of course, probably the more established application of the keto diet pertain those um, diseases that are, you know, they don't have uh, uh, like an, an alternative established therapy. So for, for example, you mentioned that the, the keto diet is the first line therapy for some rare disease, uh, genetic conditions. But yeah. now there is more and mounting research on the effectiveness of a keto diet for common diseases. One of them type 2 diabetes and uh, many, many other uh, diseases. So that's uh, that's uh, very interesting. And so you also mentioned a couple of of, uh, of mechanisms with epigenetics. I just uh, would like to to say that it would be lovely to collaborate one day. We do have uh, uh, extensive epigenetic data, whole genome bisulfate sequencing on the diet fit study. That was not a keto diet, but we do see it was a low carb versus low fat. But the, there are striking differences in uh, DNA methylation, which is a type of epigenetic modification between the low fat 
and the, um, the, the, the low carb arm. And we see, for example, upregulations of fat um, uh, metabolism genes or in a, in the in the uh, low carb diet and uh, you know if uh, if you identify interesting targets in your kabuki uh, study then we we could uh, we could see whether there is an overlap with the with the, our data sets hi everybody it's dr Kara Fitzgerald. I know a lot of you out there are practitioners like me, helping patients heal using functional medicine to get the root cause of illness. A starting point for many of us uh, is using laboratory testing. In fact, using sophisticated, uh, specialized laboratory testing. I did my postdoc uh, specifically in this testing and have been using it in clinical practice um, ever since. And so to that end, I'm excited to tell you about Rupa Health. Rupa Health allows us to order over 20 labs from a single online portal. That's right. You can just access easily 20 different specialty tests that you're using all of the time and probably juggling kits and your office staff are overwhelmed and you're explaining test kits to patients, et cetera, et cetera. You can now order easily your Dutch tests, your Vibrant America, Genova, Great Plains, and more from this single space. On average, Rupa makes ordering and managing lab testing 90% faster. I'll say that again, 90% faster letting you simplify the process of getting the functional tests you need and giving more time to focus on patients. I cannot tell you what a huge, huge, huge solution this is to a challenging juggle. So go to rupahealth.com and sign up for uh, free or schedule a live demo with the team. That's rupahealth, R-U-P-A, health.com. That would so, be great. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah, my students working on the assays now. And, uh, you know, epigen, we do think there's a big role when you shift metabolism, a lot of epigenetic changes happen, and it may not be due to the ketones, but, you know, things like different metabolites are probably epigenetic regulators, things like lactate, uh, you know, and other metabolites. Uh, but But ketones are very interesting for two reasons as epigenetic regulators, because when we go into a state of ketosis, there's a proportionally high concentration. We're talking about not, not nanomolars, not micromolars, but we have millimolar concentrations of ketones in the blood, the beta-hydroxybutyrate. And it's a small molecule that permeates you know, tissues and into the mitochondria. So by virtue of just it being at such a high concentration, it can have pretty significant epigenetic regulation. And now we think it can directly interact with the histone, which we are delving into that. Uh, I wanna take a, just a quick step back on the mechanisms and in, in brain mechanisms, we know that it elevates GABA and decreases glutamate. So this is something that we saw on an Angelman syndrome model, and it does it through GAD 65 and 67. So glutamic acid decarboxylase is an enzyme that can, we make GABA, gamma aminobutyric acid, we make that from glutamate. So what is happening in humans and in animals is that we are converting more of an excitatory amino acid transmitter into a brain stabilizing inhibitory amino acid trans, 
Porter. So GABA through chloride-mediated postsynaptic inhibition opens up a channel that hyperpolarizes the membrane potential of the neurons. And that that prevents hyperexcitability. And then that can you can control seizures by virtue of that. But we also published a series of paper, and one just came out on adenosine. So we did um, metabolomics a long time ago, and we never published it. We still haven't published that data, but it was like so much data, we're still looking at it. But the one thing that jumped out was adenosine was very, very high. With, uh, with exogenous ketones and ketogenic diet, and the adenosine is acting on the adenosine A1 receptor, which impacts uh, membrane potential through a potassium channel. So these are mechanisms that we definitely know are working to you know, be neuroprotective and brain stabilizing. So GABA is up, and that's why we think being in a state of ketosis has an anti-anxiety effect and can also impact behavior and also sleep in a positive way through adenosine and also through GABA. And we haven't looked at dopamine and serotonin yet, uh, but we do know that these two mechanisms, adenosine and GABA, we've reproduced it in, in different model systems and they're very important mechanisms linked to the anti-seizure effect and probably the anti-anxiety and positive behavioral effects we're seeing with the ketogenic diet too. That's fascinating how it, how, how it is possible to use nutrition to bring our own uh, uh, body uh, mechanisms of uh, bringing homeostasis uh, back um, in place, uh, just manipulating this, uh, this mechanism with nutrition. And so um, a question I have is about potential side effects of the keto diet and the people who may be at risk when trying a ketogenic diet. Yeah, so the ketogenic diet does, it, it's not a, a therapy without risk. So there is a risk to doing the ketogenic diet and that's important message to convey. And it's, it's very important message to like families that are using the ketogenic diet for their kids, for epilepsy and things like that. Um, so some of the things that come up in the literature, if you do it is it decreases the growth in children. So this was primarily due to the protein restriction. So now I'm, I'm, I have chair, the, Ameri the uh, American Epilepsy Society has a special interest group called SIG uh, with dietary therapies. And I've chaired that in the past uh, for several years. And this topic comes up and, uh, and there's much discussion about it, but we know that we can be actually more liberal with protein. Instead of 8% protein, we can increase that to 10, 12, and even 15%. And in some cases use a modified Atkins diet with upwards of 20 to even 30% protein and still maintain a state of ketosis. There's a science and an art to doing this, but a, a classical ketogenic diet will lower insulin so much it lowers IGF-1. And this has resulted, we think in some cases in children not achieving their terminal height. Uh, although I would like to add that the, we work very close with the Charlie Foundation. So Jim Abrams is a Hollywood producer and his son, Charlie uh, had drug resistant epilepsy 
and he responded very well to the ketogenic diet. And, uh, and a movie was made to highlight his therapy with Meryl Streep. So Meryl Streep did a movie about the ketogenic diet called First Do No Harm. And it was sort of to highlight the story of Charlie. So Charlie towers over me. He's like 6'3 or 6'4. He followed a low protein ketogenic diet and grew taller than, you know, both of his parents. So, you know, there are exceptions to the rule. So they make a big deal about how it's going to stunt the growth of kids. But I, I don't, I've never seen like really conclusive evidence of that. There is evidence of, of, of uh, kidney stones. So early versions of the ketogenic diet, when you put someone on the ketogenic diet, you restrict their fluids to 80, about 80% 80 of water restriction. I don't know why they did this, but they saw that the idea was that you would get higher ketones if you restrict fluids. And this was like a common practice for many years in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 90s to restrict water. And then there was about a five times increase in kidney stones. Uh, although now we know that, you know, you can, you should be hydrating as much as possible. You should uh, supplement with electrolytes. Uh, you tend to decrease a lot of potassium, sodium, and calcium, the calcium from bones. You have a mild metabolic acidosis and the pH of your urine becomes a little bit more acidic. And then that prevents solubilization of uric acid, and that creates something that the calcium can bind to and create stones. But if you supplement with potassium citrate, that neutralizes the urine in a way that can prevent the kidney stones. So electrolytes are really important and actually sodium. So we demonize sodium, but actually you need to get like a lot of extra sodium when you initiate a ketogenic diet, and that will help alkalinize your body offset the acidosis and actually prevent many of the keto flu symptoms. So when we go on a ketogenic diet, you suppress the hormone mm -hmm. insulin and that has a diuretic effect, but it also has a naturetic effect. A naturetic effect means that your body dumps a lot of sodium and with sodium, your fluid levels will drop and you will become hypovolemic. So you're the plasma, there'll be a contraction of the plasma volume and that will decrease brain blood flow. It can, and you can get a headache and then circulation, you get orthostatic hypotension and things like that. So it's really important to increase your sodium, to increase your electrolytes and increase your fluid when you initiate a ketogenic diet. And that can mitigate many of the side effects. So there's fat intolerance. There's, you know, the clinicians say, vomiting, nausea, diarrhea, <laughs> fat intolerance, constipation, but all these things are typically, you know, the first week or two during the initiation of the ketogenic diet. And then people adapt to the high fat intake over time. And, uh, but the long-term ones that come up are, you know, the kidney stones, the growth in kids as a growth, uh, but we think with higher protein, that's a non-issue. And the biggest issue that comes up is changes in lipid profile. So the LDL cholesterol and uh, triglycerides usually in kids, sometimes they increase or decrease depending on the type of ketogenic diet. But the biggest um, discussion right now with ketogenic diets is an elevation in LDL cholesterol. And 
We do not know what this means in the context of a ketogenic diet, but it's being studied and it's being investigated and you need an NMR lipid profile to understand the different, the different lipid subfractions to understand if it's atherogenic or benign. So that's sort of a, a quick overview <laughs> of some of the potential side effects and concerns that some doctors may have with the ketogenic diet. Thank you for providing this wonderful summary, Dom. I, uh, I think, uh, yes, the, the, con the key concept here is that the ketogenic diet is a, is a different metabolic state. And in this context, yeah. traditional risk factors such as LDL might, might have a different effect on our physiology and might be not so concerning. And that's why we need yeah. more um, in-depth testing in these cases. We also see in, uh, in uh, our studies, we are now running a, a small pilot uh, with a, a traditional well-formulated ketogenic diet versus a, a more Mediterranean low-carb diet. And we see the same mild elevation in LDL but we didn't perform in-depth LDL testing. And so, yeah. we, but we, at the same time, we see a beneficial greater decrease of triglycerides on the, uh, on the keto diet, which, you know, uh, uh, triglycerides are also um, uh, like very important actually in, in affecting how bad or good an LDL particle is. And so when we see that uh, triglycerides uh, go down, this is a, a, a good indication that uh, the, the LDL might be of a, a better kind. But anyway, context uh, is, is key. very important. Yeah. So LDL, yeah. particle size, particle number, L, uh, you know, LP little a, uh, you know, your, your insulin level is very important, your glycemic control, the HSC reactive protein, you know, your inflammation markers. Uh, I mean, there's, you have to look at it in the context of other other biomarkers, which is very not, you cannot, even the statin, even the literature on the drugs to lower LDL basically say not to prescribe this drug uh, in the context of, you know, it, it as a single biomarker. You have to view it in the context of other biomarkers. Yes, and you mentioned uh, the need of uh, perhaps supplementing with electrolytes in the, in the early phase yeah. of a keto diet. Uh, do you think there is need for other supplements, nutrients that may be lacking on a keto diet? Yeah, I, I do. After looking at a lot of blood work, uh, especially in kids that are that are drinking ketogenic shakes like KetoCal, these medical shakes are mostly like dairy fats and I'm a big advocate of formulating a ketogenic diet from real food. From whole food, I think is uh, has many advantages. One is that it can prevent nutrient deficiencies. So the things that in the literature are selenium. Uh, there's a couple cases. There's some literature to suggest that the ketogenic diet can deplete selenium. But if you're eating things like fish and you know animal products and and eggs and things like that i don't i do not think selenium's i've never seen my selenium level low and i haven't seen it 
only in people that use these medical ketogenic diets that are drinking these shakes and, and other, you know, uh, just a high dairy fat. Uh, I think dairy's, dairy can be okay, but it has to be a bit more of a balanced approach. Carnitine, so carnitine pretty much always shows up low in kids. So that that is an indication that your body is burning so much fat you are transporting so much fat into the mitochondria and your body is a fat burning machine. And one of the carriers for fat is carnitine and it tends to be pretty low in kids and they'll, they'll have fatigue and brain fog and things like that. And we supplement like carnium uh, tartrate, I think. And there's a couple of different forms of car uh, carnitine. There's uh, acetyl L-carnitine and that can cross the blood brain barrier. I supplement with that. Uh, but carnitine and selenium, and then I, I'm a big believer in, in electrolytes like magnesium, potassium, sodium, and calcium too. You, you tend to, um, calcium is a pretty strong buffer and that can help, you know, uh, offset the mild metabolic acidosis that does occur, you know, with a ketogenic diet. So, uh, ketone salts are, you can, you can take a ketone supplement and beta hydroxybutyrate can be ionically bound to an electrolyte like sodium beta hydroxybutyrate, sodium or potassium beta hydro. So the ketone salts can be, uh, can elevate ketones and also give electrolytes. There's an electrolyte product called Element that Rob Wolf makes. It's L-M-N-T. I like that. I use that or you can just put a lot of salt on your salad and <laughs> take a magnesium supplement, which I do, you know, before bed has a relaxing effect. So I, the, the three things that I see on blood work is low magnesium, sometimes low sodium, low carnitine and low selenium. So these are things I tend uh, to tell people to supplement. Great, thank you. And you mentioned now, just now, exogenous, exogenous ketone supplements. So uh, while on nutritional ketosis, we produce endogenously ketones, um, just yeah, as a, yes, in this metabolic state, with exogenous ketones, we can also take them uh, um, as a supplement perhaps to boost ketosis or mm -hmm. for which therapeutic uh, applications do you see that exogenous ketones might be useful? Yeah, so we are using a lot of the research that I do, the original research that got funded by the Department of Defense, they did not like the idea of a ketogenic diet because it was high in fat and it was going to be difficult to implement. If you consume an exogenous ketone, you can get into fasting levels of ketosis within 30 minutes, whereas a diet typically takes about 48 to 72 hours to get your ketones high. So the idea then that we experimentally tested and then we've published on this is uh, using ketone esters. And then later we formulated uh, a balanced electrolyte preparation of ketones combined with a ketogenic fat called medium chain triglycerides or MCT oil. And, and that, you know, the ketone esters continue to taste horrible, but we're using them for different clinical applications and they have their place. I consume them occasionally when I'm testing things, but I don't like to consume them even though the majority of my work has been done on ketone esters, I actually prefer 
ketone salts because they taste good, they give electrolytes. And if you combine a ketone salt with MCT, you are delivering exogenous ketones and then stimulating your own ketone production by delivering fat. MCT goes to the liver by a hepatic portal circulation and not through chylomicrons, you know, like long chain fat. So you get a bolus of fat to the liver and then it delays gastric absorption, but also extends the uh, pharmacokinetic profile of the ketones over time. So in the past, I was thinking that the higher the ketones, the better. And I could achieve that with the ketone esters that we're using in the lab. But now I have a concern actually that if your ketone levels get too high, we've seen animals actually die from ketosis with ketone esters. So I don't talk about that much because, you know, we want to put ketone esters in a good light. But we, you know, we have seen that if you administer ketones with a gavage or IV high enough, you can produce ketoacidosis and that could be toxic. So the potential for uh, getting into ketoacidosis with a ketone salt or MCT is not going to happen because it's like, it's, uh, it's self-limiting. You'll have GI distress before you get into high, high levels of ketosis. So just getting ketones elevated an extra one to two millimolar can provide a level of 10 to 20% available energy to the brain. So we know this, that if you elevate one millimolar would be equivalent to like a, a boost in brain energy, available brain energy of 10%. So, uh, and then you don't really see, you know, physiological changes in blood pH. So we measure things like blood pH and liver function, things like over time. Whenever we get ketones into that one to two millimolar range with exogenous ketones, we never see anything negative happen. But if we give a very powerful ketone ester, that may be important for things like glucose transporter or status epilepticus or cancer or other things. But I personally experimented with high levels and felt sick. So when I get my levels to like three, four, five, but if I keep my levels at one to two, I can feel an energy boost and I don't have any negative effects. So uh, for the average person listening to this, I don't, I think ketone esters, a low dose could be okay, but they taste horrible and they're expensive. So the ketone salts are probably a better option for like daily use. And also you can get ketones high enough to get signaling effects. So some of the signaling effects we're looking at are suppression of the NLRP3 inflammasome, which we've published on. We formulated a diet, our colleagues at Yale implemented it and saw that the NLRP3 inflammasome could be suppressed by the two different enantiomers of beta-hydroxybutyrate, it comes as a mirror image of the two. So you have D, beta-hydroxybutyrate and L, and both of them uh, are metabolized in the body and they both have epigenetic effects. The D beta-hydroxybutyrate may have a more favorable energetic profile, whereas the L beta-hydroxybutyrate gets metabolized slower, the concentration gets higher in tissues, and it may have a more stronger signaling effect. So from an epigenetic perspective, but also from, uh, you know, suppression of the NLRP3 inflammasome, just by virtue as it gets metabolized much slower than the D enantiomer.
So, so now we're looking at the two different enantiomers of beta-hydroxybutyrate and seeing if there's like a functional difference and if there's a difference in signaling and things like that. So, um, so you can elevate ketones with MCT oil. Uh, I'm a big fan of MCT oil if you can tolerate it. Ketone electrolyte salts or the different ketone esters that are on the market. Great, thank you for providing such a detailed um, explanation. And so basically the applications for, for these exogenous ketone supplements yeah. uh, could be like enhancement of energy and uh, epigenetic and physiological effects of ketones uh, for those who are already following a keto diet or even like reaching a higher state of ketosis for in the therapeutic range for for um, some uh, um, therapeutic applications such as for example cancer right or without any so so this was a little bit hard for me to accept but when we studied it we proved it to be the case so the animals that we studied were on a high carbohydrate diet and we administered an exogenous ketone supplement, that put them into a state of ketosis higher than we could ever achieve with a, with a ketogenic diet. And then that had very profound anti-seizure effects if it was administered 30 minutes prior to putting the animal in five atmospheres of oxygen, which causes a seizure within five minutes. So, you know, this idea is that you can give the brain a ketone supplement like a drug and it completely changes your metabolism within 30 minutes and it elevates its ketone and the ketone itself has anti-seizure effects and changes metabolism, uh, which surprised me because I really thought that your system would have to adapt over time. But I talked to different investigators uh, Dr. The late Dr. Richard Veach, uh, he was a student of Hans Krebs of the Krebs cycle. Uh, so he actually developed ketone esters back in the 90s. And he had projects funded by DARPA for warfighter performance and things like that. So he convinced me that you don't need to follow a ketogenic diet, that you can do a, a ketone ester. But then again, he had patents on it and, you know, he had a vested interest in it. So I was a little bit skeptical. So I was focused on the diet. And then I, and then I tested different ketone esters and they didn't work. The, the ketone ester that prevented seizures was a particular ketone ester that elevated beta-hydroxybutyrate and acetoacetate in a one-to-one -one ratio. So there's a redox effect in the liver and also in the blood. And it appears that for reasons that we're still trying to understand that you need to keep the ratio of beta-hydroxybutyrate to acetoacetate to get anti-seizure effects. So we've seen this in many model systems and we're, we're looking at that now. But, uh, but this idea is that there are people that are unwilling or unable to follow a ketogenic diet uh, because of, you know, you have situations like autism or Angelman syndrome where the kids are very picky about their food some people have an intolerance to fat and they can't follow the macronutrient profile to produce and sustain ketosis. So we see this, and, and also with cancer patients, they are, um, you know, just getting enough calories in them is difficult to do. So you want them to eat whatever they can eat, uh, although you want to restrict sugar and carbohydrates because you want to improve 
different metabolic markers, but a ketone supplement can help to reduce glucose. So it has a very powerful glucose lowering effect. I wrote my upcoming book, Younger You, Reduce Your Bioage and Live Longer, Better, because our research strongly suggests that we don't have to accept the inevitability of disease and unwellness as we age. And perhaps we don't have to accept aging as we age. Take that one in. And further, we achieve this biological age reversal without expensive and risky hormones, injections, or hacks, but with a simple, smartly designed diet and lifestyle program. When we saw our study participants reverse their bioage by over three years as compared to our control group, it was clear to me, even as we move forward with more research, that you needed access to our program now. You can do this in two ways. Our 3YY digital program encompasses what we did in our study in an actionable, all-encompassing, doable structure, and my book, which covers our study, my story, the behind-the-scenes adventures, and a dive into the fascinating world of modifying genetic expression, plus loads of recipes and bioage assessments and an appendix extraordinaire. Both of these drop January 18, 2022. Please see youngeryouprogram.com for details on how to access both. Now let's get back to this month's episode. And I could go into discussing why that happens, but raising ketones has anti-cancer effects. It has anti-inflammatory effects, has neuroprotective effects. So my strategy would be to do a ketogenic diet and then use an exogenous ketone as an adjuvant to further enhance the therapeutic efficacy of the ketogenic diet. But in the context of people who will not follow the ketogenic diet, a ketone supplement seems to be efficacious under some, some conditions. And there's at least 40 clinical trials right now on clinicaltrials.gov, not looking at ketogenic diets, looking at ketone supplements, which you know five years ago, there was none. So now there's a lot of human clinical trials being done right now. Wow, that's fascinating. I, I was concerned that perhaps of ketones and glucose are conflicting fuels. And so having both in the system would confuse the, the body potentially. But it seems that clinically, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. it's fascinating. Biology is so complex and never ends surprising me. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. It is interesting that you bring that up. I mean, the, the, your body will eat, you know, if you eat, it's like eating fat and carbs together. You have fat and glucose elevated and your body kind of knows what to do with it. So it's just another fuel for the body. And there are counter regulatory mechanisms when you consume exogenous ketones that happen. And one is that you know, if you consume exogenous ketones and you get your levels above two millimolar, you can measure an increase in insulin. So that's actually how we regulate physiologically our state of ketosis. We go on a ketogenic diet, we burn a high level of fat in the liver, and then we produce ketones. The ketones get into the blood and they will through ketone urea, you eliminate some ketones, but you get ketone-induced increase in insulin. And an elevation of insulin will then feed back to the liver and reduce fatty acid oxidation in the liver. 
it's the it's the acetyl CoA coming from fat from beta oxidation of fatty acids in the liver that produce the ketones. So a little bit of increase in insulin will shut that off, not shut it off, but will turn it down. So if you consume a lot of ket exogenous ketones, that will shut down your own ketone production, but you have to consume enough that gets your level, at least from a, the biological assay we use, that, that gets your level above a delta of two millimolar, which is easily to achieve with a ketone ester, but with a ketone salt, that's kind of like the limits about how you can go. So ketone salts generally don't increase insulin, which is probably good if you're trying to burn fat. Uh, so you have that sort of scenario, but if you consume ketones, it lowers your blood glucose for a number of reasons. I think I thought it was doing it because it was just releasing insulin. You consume ketones, you measure your glucose or you wear, I wear a continuous glucose monitor on the back of my arm here. Okay. So if I consume ketones, like the glucose goes down. I was just figuring the ketones were causing a release of insulin and then you have glucose disposal you know, with the insulin, but what's happening is there's probably a decrease in things like glucagon, maybe a small increase in insulin, but there's a decrease in gluconeogenesis. And there was a paper just published last week that the availability of alanine goes down. So gluconeogenic amino acids go down. So, uh, so ketones have an anti-catabolic effect. So their biological function from an evolutionary perspective, when we get into a state of ketosis after not eating for a couple of days, is that they provide energy to the heart and the brain to prevent the catabolism of gluconeogenic amino acids in the skeletal muscle. So ketones protect your skeletal muscle from being degraded so you don't have to break down your skeletal muscle to get glucose. So, right, so uh, ketones will largely replace glucose as a primary fuel. And then in that way, they are protein sparing and we say they're anti-catabolic. So there's good data to show that there's a very large reduction in alanine. So alanine goes down, uh, lactate goes down, suggesting that glycolysis goes down. So, uh, so it's, it's interesting, the glucose lowering effect of ketones may be the most important <laughs> uh, function that they have. And it was not something, it was something that I, I was a little bit hesitant to report because I was thinking that hypoglycemia is bad. But if you elevate ketones while glucose goes down, you're asymptomatic for hypoglycemia because the ketones are basically providing and, and, and giving your brain enough energy. And there was a study that was done by Oliver Owen and George Cahill at Harvard Medical School back in 1967, where they fasted subjects for 60 days and they injected, or for 40 days rather, they injected insulin into subjects that were fasted and lowered their blood glucose down to 20 milligrams per deciliter, and they were asymptomatic for hypoglycemia because their ketones were so high. So if they were not, if they were on a standard American diet and you inject someone with insulin that's normal and healthy and put them into hypoglycemia, you would get you would put them into a coma and they would die. But because they were fasting and their ketones were like five to seven millimolar they were completely asymptomatic for hypoglycemia. So that's, that's actually like a really important 
observation is that we could give ketones therapeutically for things like hypoglycemic shock, for insulin shock, you know, uh, and if you give them to type two dia diabetics, you could reverse insulin uh, resistance, I think, and lower insulin and increase, you know, or reduce your glucose levels too over time. So that's a potential yeah. application that, that they're studying now. We're not, we're doing it in animals, but there's human clinical trials now. Yeah, that's great that you brought uh, that study uh, by Cahill and others up because that, that's one, I think, of the foundational studies um, to really understand the physiology of fasting and ketosis and why ketones can really bypass our brain's needs for glucose. And, uh, and uh, also thanks for helping me also better contextualize the use of exogenous ketones. I was aware of, uh, of these uh, feedback mechanisms that uh, endogenous ketones can trigger in our body so that they lower our own endogenous production. But as it seems as you described that basically there is a built-in feedback already in our body because ketose is such a, a fundamental mechanism of biology, there is already a built-in system that when we elevate ketones uh, to a certain level, that automatically these uh, it, it, it stimulates a little insulin and, uh, and um, yeah. reduces glucogenesis and so glucose. And in this way, uh, also inhibits the accumulation of, uh, of ketones to a pathologic level. And basically by using exogenous ketones, even when there is some insulin, we are playing safe because we already have this built-in feedback mechanism in place. And so, you know, physiology, once we understand physiology, this makes us um, more, uh, feeling more safe and empowered also to, to trick uh, the system therapeutic, therapeutically with the new um, approaches. So you mentioned that there are several clinical trials now using uh, exogenous ketones um, uh, and, so what, what are the other human clinical trials being done uh, now? Yeah, there are many. Actually, I gave a, a, a talk at a NIH workshop on this. I mean, uh, type two diabetes, there's one on type one diabetes, believe it or not. Uh, there are many with exercise. So there's uh, the Institute for Human and Machine Cognition, which I'm kind of an affiliate of. They're doing some things with exercise. Uh, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, uh, a number of neurodegenerative diseases. Um, the, some of the more interesting ones are like for, um, for behavioral effects too. So there's a couple like with behavioral disorders. There's one, I think for anorexia, uh, and, oh, there's one for alcohol withdrawal syndrome. So using exogenous ketones. So the ketones can help to, uh, they can help to stabilize, you know, the homeostasis in the brain. You know, we could say metabolic homeostasis in the brain. And there were a number of uh, people emailing me that they were able to get off of alcohol because they were using exogenous ketones. And uh, so I see people are, there's two clinical trials on alcohol withdrawal syndrome. So using ketones for that. So uh, 
and, and one of our ketone ester is actually 1,3-butane-diol-acetoacetate-diester. 1,3-butane-diol is a dialcohol or glycol, and it, it's actually metabolized through the alcohol dehydrogenase pathway in the liver. And, uh, and when you drink a lot of it, you feel buzzed like you're, like you're drunk, more or less. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I think if you were to consume a ketone ester while you're getting off of alcohol, it would kind of give you the buzz, but you're not getting a lot of the negative toxic consequences of alcohol. So I, I'm, I'm okay, you know, being from an Italian family, even as a kid, you know, I would have like wine. I think alcohol is okay. You know, alcoholism is a big problem in the US, but it's, it's so interesting to see all these emerging applications for weight loss, for uh, quite a few with type two diabetes and many different brain disorders. And what I'm describing to you is not the ketogenic diet. These are actually ketone supplement studies. So it is, uh, it, I had went a couple years without looking at clinicaltrials.gov. So it was a very interesting to see all these clinical trials uh, popping up. It'll be very interesting to see what kind of positive neutral or negative effects. So that's not to say that it's going to be effective, but at least people are, are studying that. And with the ketogenic diet, we are studying, we're doing a study right now in partnership with Levels Health, which makes the continuous glucose monitor. The name of that study is using continuous glucose monitor for metabolic optimization. So basically we're, we have subjects that are part of a 12 week wellness program and with my colleague, uh, Dr. Allison Hull, who would be great on your show. She's a medical doctor. Uh, she graduated from University of South Florida and has a medical clinic at the Florida Medical Institute. And, uh, and we have a study where subjects wear a continuous glucose monitor. We do blood work. We are looking at anxiety. We're looking at depression. We're looking at sleep. We're looking at, we're using chronometer to measure all the the macronutrients. And I have medical students helping with it. You know, uh, some of my undergrads and PhD students are helping with it. We did 30 subjects and, but these are non-diabetic subjects. So they're non-diabetic subjects wearing a continuous glucose monitor as a behavioral tool to modify behavior to enhance compliance and adherence to a low carbohydrate diet, a ketogenic diet. So, and the results are, are very impressive, but they, uh, so far with 30 subjects, but we're underpowered. So we need actually to increase our sample size, another 50 subjects. So we are uh, pausing, you know, analyzing the data for the first cohort, and then we're starting to recruit uh, uh, another 30 to 50 subjects so we can get statistical power. Uh, but we're seeing some of the most robust data is actually on reduction in anxiety, a decrease in depression and an improvement in sleep and a decrease in uh, fatty liver. So all these things, even with a relatively small cohort, we're seeing some interesting uh, effects. Some of the metabolic markers are just, they're not they're not changing that much because the subjects are already fairly, you know, uh, metabolically healthy. They don't have type two diabetes. You have to you have to do blood work to show, you know, you don't have any underlying conditions or type two diabetes before even entering into this clinical trial. Um, but that's ongoing right now, and uh, 
I'll be excited to present some of the data at the Metabolic Health Summit, which is a conference that we host. And that'll be, and you are speaking at that. We are very excited to have you Thanks there. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm excited to be with you and, uh, and mingle with the other scientists in the field. Yeah, yeah, we are super excited to have you uh, speaking on, you know, uh, expanding, you know, the, the the idea that metabolism can impact epigenetics is near and dear to our hearts because it's a PhD project of my students. So I've encouraged my student to, she's a little bit shy, but to come up to you and talk to you about. Uh, great, that <laughs> would be a, a great start of, uh, of uh, uh, hopefully long collaboration. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And if you need another subject for your study, count me in. Although I assume that, uh, you know, if uh, somebody is already knowledgeable about the keto diet and already compliant because he, uh, he or she has already embraced the keto diet as a lifestyle, then you wouldn't see a lot of behavioral differences when, uh, when using uh, uh, a CGM, which by yeah. the way, I think is a powerful tool that can teach people a lot about their physiology and response to food. And I think this can potentially revolutionize um, healthcare by putting uh, really like health in the hands of people. And so it's a great study. I have some of my students that uh, are clinicians using CGM also in Italy. And yep. I'm sure if you need collaboration with them, I, I actually are looking for collaborators who wants to analyze their data. They have clinics yep. and so, yeah, lots of potential future collaborations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, CGM is super insightful and it, it is really, um, we're seeing that it's an important behavioral tool. We have subjects that don't wear the CGM that are following low carb diet and all the different parameters associated with a wellness program. Uh, there's a lot of education and training that Dr. Allison Hall does at her clinic. And then a group of people who do the same exact thing but they wear a CGM and the the difference between the CGM a lot of a lot of there's no difference in a lot of different things and there's just positive effects you know following low carb in both groups but with the CGM we're actually seeing some um, you know benefits in regards to compliance uh, glycemic variability uh, I think depression and sleep and and anxiety. So these things tend to improve, not so much sure why those things are improving, but that's some of the data that's jumping out now. I can't talk too much about it because we're just halfway through the, the clinical trial. And, uh, but it, it is, I really do think that if you can see your glycemic response to a meal, you know not to eat that particular food if it spikes your glucose uh, or eat less of that food. And it trains you to understand your metabolism and physiology in a way that gives you an advantage. And I think people like to improve upon it every day. They, the, we're using the Levels app and it gives you a score. So the people following it uh, are trying to improve their score every day. And I think that becomes a powerful behavioral tool. Like you're basically gamifying <laughs> the nutrition yes. and you're learning. And I think that's an important component. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. And thank you very much, Dominic. I would just like to end with one last question. 
about what is your typical diet and your top three lifestyle hacks. Yeah, my diet uh, today, I had six eggs and uh, three yolks, and I gave the other three yolks to my dogs. <laughs> so, uh, but then I, I had, yeah, just six eggs with three yolks and some cheese for, for breakfast. And uh, I use a bar called the Keto Brick. And it's basically, it's the only ketogenic bar that I know of that actually has the macronutrient profile. So it's Keto Brick and it's a thousand calories per bar. So I had that and I had one can of mackerel today. And in an hour or two, I'll go home and I'll, I'll eat dinner and it'll be usually a salad, chicken, fish or beef and a salad and a lot of olive oil. Um, and that's pretty, that's like kind of a typical day for me. And then three lifestyle hacks, I think. Yes. You had mentioned. Uh, I would say the best hack you could do is like having, uh, well, the first thing I do is I wake up and I go out into the sun. So I run, I let my dogs out and I run to our cow gate, our pasture, and I'm running east right into the sun. And uh, so that sun is like a, it just wakes me up. It's like my coffee, even before I have my coffee. So early sun, getting sun early in the morning helps to synchronize our circadian biology. I think that it resets, gets our neurotransmitters, our dopamine, our serotonin, everything kind of going. And that exercise too is, is, could be important. Although if I exercise very intensely in the beginning, in the early day, I'm tired later on. So I just do some light walking or something in the morning. Having a dog uh, is another, the second one. It puts me into a routine. Uh, we walk the dog two, twice a day. So it gets me to do kind of like, you know, some low level physical activity. And then people who have dogs, I think have better immune systems. So they're always licking my face and just, you know, hanging all over me. I'm probably, their microbiome is probably changing me and actually enhancing my immune system. So I've never got like a cold or a flu in like 10 years. So, uh, I'm, so I probably because of dogs and uh, lately, we we purchased a house a few years ago, and after three years, I finally fixed the the spa, the hot tub, and it's a an old concrete structure, like in our house, and it's uh, I finally got a heater on it so I can heat it up to like 105, and then I go in that and I jump into the cold pool, and I'll do that two or three times each night, and I've been uh, and I think that has really helped me. So yeah. Sunlight, I think the dog is like your ultimate hack, having a pet. And then I've been doing some cold exposure and, and heat exposure and experimenting with that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. That's, that's wonderful, Dominic. You are uh, truly not only a, a, a scientist, but also like a, a wonderful human being with uh, lots of personal skin in the game of uh, health optimization. So thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being on. And all the educational content you put out there, educational outreach is so important. And, uh, and we're super excited to have you part of the Metabolic Health Summit too. So I think you're going to really, you're gonna bring a lot more people just because of the topic and enthusiasm that you bring to this field. So we, we thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you very much, Don. As always, thank you for listening to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine.
where our sponsors help bring the very best minds in functional medicine, and today is no exception. Not everyone can be a sponsor on my platform, and I so appreciate the good work, the relentless research, and the generous support from my friends at Biotics, TA Sciences, and Integrative Therapeutics. These are brands I know and trust in my own clinic and can confidently recommend them to you. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com, tasciences.com, and integrativepro.com, and please tell them you learned about them on New Frontiers. If it's not too much to ask, I would appreciate a thumbs up and a kind review wherever you're listening to New Frontiers. Thanks.